On the 1st of September 1939, 25-year-old Malvern resident Orna Lloyd started writing her diary of the war. This is episode 2. It is September 1939. Friday, September 8th, 1939. A week, a little week since it all began. We, in England, are settling down to a normal abnormality, and thousands of lives and millions of pounds have already been wasted. Commander Stephen King Hall spoke on the wireless. A very fine speech, but there is little news that can be regarded as conclusive. The Germans claim to have taken Warsaw, but such a statement is almost certainly for their home consumption, where the wish is always farther to the thought. If only one could get away from it, or get it out of one's head for a few minutes. Daily Herald, 9th September 1939. Backs to wall in Warsaw. German entry is denied. A dramatic backs-to-the-wall call was broadcast to the Polish troops defending Warsaw at 10.30 last night. It followed a claim by the German high command that Nazi motorised troops had forced their way into the Polish capital. This claim was described by the Polish embassy in London last night as completely false. The backs-to-the-wall summons was issued by General Chuma, appointed yesterday by Marshal Schmigwi Rydz as Commander-in-Chief of the Troops Defending Warsaw. It was the General's Order of the Day number 1, and it read, Soldiers of the Warsaw Garrison, the Commander-in-Chief has entrusted the defence of the capital to me. He demands that the enemy's advance shall break against the walls of Warsaw. We have occupied positions from which there is no retreat. At this outpost, we must endure to the last soldier. The enemy must know that we shall meet him with the cry, Halt! Thus far, and no further. We shall fight to the last ditch. Retreats on the fronts north and southwest of Warsaw were admitted in Polish Communique No. 8, issued last night. Saturday, September 9th, 1939. News from the Western Front seems to be good. News from Poland is terrible. Warsaw is beleaguered, and the population, as well as the military, are fighting tooth and nail. I doubt there will be much hope there. The Ministry of Information announced that the government are making provision for the war to last three years. Three years! It is difficult to write what one must face up to, if that really represents the best we can hope for, without being theatrical about it. But how many of us will be alive three years hence to see the end of this horror, if it does end then? What will there be remaining of all we knew and loved? Sunday, September 10th, 1939. A black day, not because of any particular news, but perhaps because from being fine and warm it suddenly became wet and colder. Autumn seems to be in the air. There were two gleams, however, one the saying of a child who was being evacuated, and the other a talk on the tranquil mind by dear old Walford Davies. Someone asked the little refugee if she wasn't frightened at being taken away from home and friends, to which the cherub replied, Oh no, it's all right. The king knows. I think he does. Walford's refuges were the same as mine, music and poetry, among other things especially. Oddly enough, Jisoo, joy of man's desiring, 
which I played last Sunday morning to keep my courage up. Monday, September 11th, 1939. Poland is putting up a simply heroic resistance, still holding out. Is this another man? Today's turn-up, as usual, goes to Hitler, who has issued a decree that the German troops, when he visits, are not to throw flowers at him. If they wish to show their adoration for him, they are to hand their tributes to the Heimwehr. Flowers. Fare you well. There was more foolery yet, if I could remember it. Tuesday, September 12th, 1939. Warsaw still holds out. Such a resistance is epic, like the siege of the Alcazar. If only they can keep it up. On the lighter side, there is no news today from the Nazi buffoon factory. I did nothing today worth recording. Wednesday, September 13th, 1939. The Poles are still holding, thank God. So perhaps the conquest of Poland is destined to be another grand illusion. But the mask has been torn from a face of Hitlerism, and a hideous creature has been revealed. According to one report, not yet confirmed, the German High Command has declared that since the civilian Poles have been helping their army as guerrillas and francs tireurs, open towns and civilians are to be bombed and shelled. So it is ruthless, undisguised Prussianism once more, the German will predominant. One can almost admire the man who is prepared even to damn his soul for his country. One should not overlook the illuminating fact that in the legend of Faust, the intellectual prepared to sell his soul to the devil for unlimited and absolute power was of Germanic origin. I think I can understand now what the Middle Ages meant by selling one's soul to the devil. That is what Hitler has done. We make very little, too little, of the mortal sin of pride which was a commonplace of medieval and Renaissance theology. It is often euphemistically called egoism, radical energy and even self-expression. But only the gigantic sin of pride in its medieval and personified form would be worthy to stand for an ambition so blind, so uncompromising and so deadly. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Thursday, September 14th, 1939. It will be a fortnight tomorrow since it all started, and it seems an eternity. Already we have lived a lifetime of hopes and fears, and imaginations as one would and the like. One thing emerges for me. I thought, in all the long days when war was coming, and must come inevitably, unless a miracle happened, that when the catastrophe came... I should have no heart for music and poetry, that I should feel as if everything I held dear had deserted me in the blazing madness of war. I don't. I know that, even in the thick of it, when I scarcely dare to think what is happening and is going to happen, these things remain. Nothing Hitler can do can destroy the will of man to build again, to cultivate the arts and to burst out in music when he feels and is great. Last year at Worcester, I had a feeling that the words of Vaughan Williams, Donna Nobis Pachem, were prophetic. We look for peace and no good came, and for a time of health and behold trouble. 
but prophetic too was a sudden shaft of sunshine that slid down from the tremendously high windows of the south transept during the singing of I know that my Redeemer liveth out of the shadow into the sunshine. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There is no decisive news of the Poles. God help them. Friday, September 15th. 1939. Theo rang up, whereupon I dropped two very unmilitary bricks, though I cannot think what use my information might have been to the enemy. What a lot we poor civilians do have to learn. Malvern Gazette, 21st September 1939. Warning about false news. Regional Commissioner's Notice. Lord Dudley, the Midlands Regional Commissioner, has issued the following official notice, which is a caution to the public about false news. Experience has shown that when he invades or tries to invade a country, the enemy often gives out false or misleading information in order to spread confusion and panic among the civil population. In this way, he hopes to make difficulties for the defence. The government are taking steps through the regional commissioners to deal with this possible menace. In certain circumstances, the Commissioner may take control of the display of notices by issuing a direction under Regulation 16A of the Defence General Regulations, 1939. Saturday, September 16th, 1939. Nothing. Sunday, September 17th, 1939. All the week I have had an ill-divining soul, now what I foresaw has come to pass. Russia, unable to resist the temptation of a Poland, about to be dismembered, has attacked on the eastern frontier. Her pretext is that the Polish government has lost control and that she is bringing peace to the Poles. Sunday Dispatch, 17th September 1939. Russia's plans in Poland. The Sunday Dispatch has never feared to give its readers frank and unvarnished news of great importance. The question which troubles the world at the moment is, what will Russia do? The Sunday Dispatch diplomatic correspondent has obtained this exclusive information about Russia's intentions. The Soviets have now definitely decided to make military intervention in Poland, the main objective being to seize the Polish Ukraine. The Soviets' forthcoming move against the Poles is not to assist Germany, but to aggrandize Russia. Monday, September 18th, 1939. Warsaw is still fighting, although it is now hopeless for the country which has not already been overrun with Germans, has been swamped by Russians. Comment seems quite impossible. Are there any words to describe the unwarranted destruction of a nation that has suffered as bitterly in the past as the Poles have? God knows now what will be the end of it. Aircraft carrier Courageous, sunk by a U-boat, no estimate yet of losses. What I find so terrible is that in wartime one's sympathy grows more and more limited with the stultifying effect of daily calamities. At all this ghastliness one is able to feel no more than a conventional horror because it doesn't touch one nearly. What will happen when it does? And as for the future, I am haunted by T.S. Eliot's terrible cry which he put into the mouth of the hero in the family reunion a cry which sums up the fears of all humanity caught in the unbreakable web of cause and effect.
Oh God. Man. The things that are going to happen have already happened. North Ants Evening Telegraph, 18th September 1939. Courageous sunk. Enemy submarine action. Aircraft carrier of 22,500 tons. Survivors picked up. Enemy boat believed sunk. HMS Courageous has been lost by enemy submarine action. The survivors were picked up, and it is believed that the enemy submarine was sunk. This was announced by the Ministry of Information today in the following official statement. The Admiralty regrets to announce that HMS Courageous has been lost by enemy submarine action. She was commissioned with the reserve fleet in August, with a reduced complement of aircraft, and since the opening of hostilities, has been performing very good service in protecting the ships of the mercantile marine against U-boat attacks. Survivors have been picked up by destroyers and merchant ships, which are now returning to harbour. The submarine was immediately heavily attacked by destroyers and is believed to have been sunk. HMS Courageous is one of the earliest aircraft carriers. She was originally completed as a cruiser in 1917 and was converted after the war as an aircraft carrier. The next of kin will be informed as soon as information can be obtained as to the names of the survivors. Tuesday, September 19th, 1939. Despite the fact that there is no immediate hope, Warsaw still holds out. Such sheer gallantry and heroism in the face of hopeless odds restores one's faith in humanity. There will be no forgetting this, and the siege of Westerplatter. History will remember them as Thermopylae is remembered. War's annals will fade into night ere their story die. I hope it is not hypocrisy or patronage, or any other adulteration, that makes me pity the bankrupt victors of this hideous overthrow. When future generations think of the heroism of the Poles, with gratitude and prayer. They must think of Germany and Russia with horror and loathing. What nations can live under the load of such moral and spiritual bankruptcy, such penury of manhood, truth and decency when honest-thinking people in Germany at last learn what crimes have been committed in their name? What fathomless self-disgust must they experience? No man would wish to be German then. For ourselves, half the complement of HMS Courageous only are accounted for. There was no panic. As she sank, the captain was seen to salute the white ensign. Dulce et decorum est. I used to think that was some very fine poetic eyewash. I'm not quite so sure now. Since we must all die sometime, to die for something larger and finer than oneself is no poor end. There is no need to call to mind our Lord's words concerning the greater love. Bacon, with his clever brain and very human failings suggested that it was a poor centre of a man's actions, himself. When this is all over we shall suffer another reaction of disillusionment. We shall be appalled and overwhelmed by the brutality and the waste. If we live to count it, then, perhaps more than now, it will be necessary to hold fast to the faith that the human spirit triumphs over and survives these deluges. I believe man can say as Hamlet does, as for my soul, what can it do to that? What can anything do to the spirit that is now holding Warsaw or that went down cheering with HMS Courageous? Courageous. She needs no better epitaph.
she was well named. Flaunt out, O sea, your separate flags of nations. Flaunt out, visible as ever, the various ship signals. But do you reserve, especially for yourself, and for the soul of man, one flag above all the rest? O spiritual woven signal for all nations, emblem of man elate above death. Token of all captains and all intrepid sailors and mates, and all that went down doing their duty. Reminiscent of them, twined from all intrepid captains, young or old, a pennant universal, subtly waving all time o'er the brave sailors, all seas, all ships. Wednesday, September 20th, 1939. Still Warsaw clings on despite the dead lying unburied in the streets. After all, why should they surrender? They can expect no mercy from their enemies. It would seem to be as well not to be alive when the city falls. Meanwhile, news comes of revolts in Slovakia and Bohemia, and the German Freedom Party continues to broadcast despite the Gestapo. The general situation seems to be confused. The quiet on the Western Front is rather like the lull before the storm. How soon will the storm break? Thursday, September 21st, 1939. Lull continues. I foresee the invasion of Belgium and Luxembourg, even Holland in order to get at us and France, and turn the flank of the Maginot Line. America has made some investigations into the finances of the Nazi leaders, subordinates to Hitler, and find that they have some millions invested abroad for a rainy day. Such touching faith in their own regime. Ribbentrop tops the list with over £1,500,000, Goebbels and Goring come next with over £1,000,000 each, and Himmler, Hess and Ley and Schreiker have some hundred thousands. Hitler, to do him justice, has no foreign securities that can be traced. Friday, September 22nd, 1939. The lull still continues. We are waiting, but do not know what we are waiting for. Russia and Germany have divided Poland between them, but Warsaw still holds out despite everything. I heard today from Dickie that Frank Westwater went down with the courageous. So the gain-giving that used to trouble me so much at Cambridge the horrible fear that I should have to see my contemporaries march away and never return, has been realised. This is only the first. I wonder what we have done or failed to do that has merited so bitter a penalty. It is just three weeks today. Saturday, September 23rd, 1939. Nothing. Warsaw still holding out. No major engagement on the Western Front. General von Fritsch announced to have been killed in Poland. His relatives will doubtless be highly gratified by the state funeral he will receive by order of Hitler. Sunday, September 24th, 1939. Ihr kommt nicht wieder, which may be idiomatically translated as Your men will not come home is the curt intimation German widows are to receive that Hitler has accepted the supreme sacrifice of their husbands in the cause of his ambition. Thou'll come no more. Never, 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 never. Monday, September 25th, 1939. 
Today I had proof how dangerous it is to spread rumours or gossip, with however good intentions. The role of honour of the courageous was published, and no F. Westwater. That must mean he was on another ship, which is a good thing to be able to record. Warsaw has not fallen yet, but its treatment is barbarous. If only there was any help we could give. If only it would not be sheer madness to attempt to reach it by aeroplane. The help that never came. That never could come. Lull on the Western Front still continues and is likely to. Tuesday, September 26th, 1939. Nothing. Wednesday, September 27th, 1939. Warsaw has fallen, as it was doomed to do from the very beginning. Almost, I am glad that this is the end of such wonderful, wasteful heroism for no one, however brave, however eager to help, could have reached them. They have held out for nearly three weeks against attacks of unprecedented violence and brutality, such as will blot the name of Germany for generations, nay, forever, because no history of the Poles could ever be written without mentioning it. If poetry, which is the faith of good men, not as things as they are but as they ought to be, can soften and alleviate in any measure a horror and sorrow which must endure, then Macefield has summed up all suffering that seems vain because it does not end material success. The conqueror's prize is dust and lost endeavour, and the beaten man remains a story for ever. As dear old Sir Thomas Brown would say, who had not rather be the unjust thief than Pilate? Daily Mirror, 28th September 1939. Poland. The End. Warsaw has surrendered to the Germans for the second time within 24 years. For 12 days, Poland has been shelled by the encircling guns, bombed night and day from the air, cut off from food and supplies. Last night, after a heroic defence that thrilled the world, the defenders asked for a 24-hour armistice. And just before midnight, Warsaw Radio No. 1, now in German hands, announced that the city had at last capitulated. Thursday, September 28th, 1939. Nothing. Friday, September 29th, 1939. I went to Gloucester to the infirmary, and am to go again on November 24th. Report is favourable on the whole, although I have had more pain than has been usual for a long time. We have received our marching orders. Berlin and Moscow, having liquidated the state of Poland, have now decided that we are going to make peace. Or else. I am afraid they will be doomed to disappointment, and are liable to find that when you have driven another country to war, it is possible that they will be determined only to end it on their terms. There is one crumb of comfort to be drawn from this deplorable situation, and that is that knowing the militant and brutal attitude of fascist states, when they are sure of any easy victory and their utter intransigence, it leads one to suppose that they have only one thing to look forward to from a long war, and that is defeat. Otherwise there would have been no offer of peace. Saturday, September 30th, 1939. As the Americans commented, 
the Russo-German peace offer, or threat, has proved to be a damp squib. Our government, like Br'er Rabbit, are lying low and ain't saying nothing. Hitler's attitude is like that of Claudius in Hamlet. May one be pardoned and retain the offence. And so passes September, a month that has seen the fall of a nation. One can hardly look forward to October with any pleasurable anticipation. Warsaw is to be occupied tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lorna Lloyd's Diary of the War. Lorna Lloyd is played by Bethany Ray and the newsreader by Richard Godden. Catherine Stephen is the announcer. The War Diary was written by Lorna Lloyd. Additional radio news broadcast material was supplied by the BBC Archive, copyright BBC. Print news was sourced from the British Newspaper Archive, with thanks to the British Library and Find My Past, and from back issues of the Malvern Gazette, held at Malvern Library. The theme tune is an extract from César Franck's Symphony in D minor, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Richard Hickox on the 5th of September 2003, and also kindly made available by the BBC Archive. This podcast episode was brought to you by staff and students of the School of Computing at Edinburgh Napier University. It was produced by third-year students Alex Genks, David Graham, James McLaughlin, Andrash Peter and Michael Sutty, under the supervision of Ian McGregor. The podcast was directed by Bruce Ryan, with the assistance of Hazel Hall. The UK Arts and Humanities Research Council funded this work through the Creative Informatics Programme. Find out more about Lorna Lloyd and wartime in Malvern at www.malvernmuseum.co.uk and in the next episode of The Diary of the War.